That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, Aaron, we are back uh, for another episode of uh, the same old song, uh, the church's number one resource for preaching a, a C plus sermon. So, how are you doing? <laughs> That's right. You will guarantee you guys three stars out of five on every sermon if you listen to this podcast. I'm doing okay. I'm recording today, as you know, from Michigan. You're in upstate New York. Geographically, as the crow flies, we're actually not that far apart. I can I can feel uh, your presence in the force uh, yeah. even now. My essence is powerful up here. So, um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's what Melina says. We're, uh, but we're we're doing, yeah, we're doing okay. It's, it's good to get a little bit of break. Uh, by the time people are listening to this, uh, that break will be over. We'll be back in the thick of things doing ministry along with our listeners who are going to be still working through various phases of preaching and ministry in a time of pandemic, as well as if you are a preacher with uh, a family, you'll be looking at what you're doing for schooling and everything will still be uh, jumbled and crazy and confusing and exhausting and weird, and we are with you, brothers and sisters, in that, and uh, we're glad that we can help you with a resource like this, such as it is, and maybe help you uh, approach preaching in this time with a little bit of help, and uh, it's one area where uh, you'll get you'll get some assistance from us. Yeah, More to me at least than a sea level, at least yeah. a sea level, so... yeah. <laughs> Um, and I, I do think that that's something very powerful and um, a reminder that in the, in the midst of this kind of pandemic, I mean, here we are, and we've just been talking about it. Um, so it's a, it's a great, you know, I mean, for a lot of places, we're regressing, and uh, you know, and we are seeing this thing flare right up, and um, and uh, once again, and it's a reminder that as humans, sometimes, um, you know, we. If anything is becoming abundantly clear in 2020, it is that humans are helpless. Um, we need not just um, we need not just a little help from God. We need total and complete saving from God. And um, and I think this is one of the things that our Old Testament uh, reading illustrates is that God is at work in the midst of our helplessness. Um, especially in the helplessness of terrible, terrible family dynamics, which I think, I don't know, as a pastor, you've probably experienced this too, but, you know, you're seeing, you know, people living in closed quarters and just having to spend a lot of time together. Family dynamics are beginning to break down, and um, and uh, there are some difficulties going on with families, and uh, we see in the... Um, uh, that the, the family of the patriarchs, things break down as well. Why don't you tell us what's going on in Genesis 37, verses 1 through 4, and 12 through 28, Aaron? 
Yeah, uh, uh, happy to. And and uh, again, just to remind our uh, listeners, we're doing the tenth Sunday after Pentecost here. This will oh, be yeah. for Sunday, August 9th. and and we begin as we continue the story of the patriarchs with Jacob uh, in the land of Canaan. And it's always helpful, I think, if you're going to preach on this passage, to remind your congregation kind of what the big picture is here that you've got God saving the world that remember everything fell apart in Genesis 3 and God is now saving the world he picked Abraham sort of out of a crowd and <laughs> said through you blessing is going to come it was like a crazy crowd they were you know Abraham was a moon worshiper in Ur basically God went to Coachella and picked a random person <laughs> and said you're I'm going to use you to save the world and kind of put everything back together there's going to be blessing through you and it's going to involve uh, a people and land, and from that is going to come blessing the whole world. Obviously, we know it's going to ultimately be fulfilled in Jesus Christ, but that's what's getting worked out. And it's, I think, as you and I have talked about, what's amazing about this is how messy this process is of working it out. Um, this is not a story of God picked the best person to start this Abrahamic dynasty, and then he picked the best descendant of that person and the best descendant of that person and it's just like a, a hall of fame from Abraham all the way to, to Jesus. It's a it's really a hall of shame. It's a it's a hall of stooges and and you continue to see that here. And as you said, a messed up family. And preachers, if you have some family dynamics in your own family of origin or in your current family, if you are hanging on by a thread, take heart because you see again God working through a messed up family here in Genesis thirty seven. So we've got Jacob uh, living in Canaan, and Jacob has all these sons, and we meet here Joseph, who's 17. He's the baby of the family, and he's got all these brothers, and you immediately learn a couple of things. Um, Joseph narks on his brothers. Israel, dad, aka Jacob, and it's a little bit confusing because Jacob has two names, but Israel slash Jacob, the dad, totally plays favorites. He he loves Joseph more than any of his other children. And the fact that it's written down means that obviously this was a known reality. And so Joseph knew he was the favorite and his brothers knew he was the favorite. And he uh, indicated it by giving him a gift that he didn't give to the brothers. So a long robe with sleeves, or as we know from Broadway, the Technicolor dream coat, whatever you want to talk about. And the other thing that is not mentioned in this passage is that Jacob, or Joseph, the son, had these dreams in which his brothers bowed down to him. And Joseph was sort of like the best. And um, and he rubbed his brother's noses in this fact. He kind of tells them all this dream. And so his brothers, it says in verse 4, they hated him so much they couldn't even talk to him. So it's totally broken down. And... Um, and it's just, and yet this is the family that God is going to use to save the world. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, He rubs His face in it, and there's, um, there's kind of uh, some very powerful, powerful theological stuff going on here. You know, um, uh, Jacob plays, um, Jacob plays favorites with Joseph, and um, and on one level, this is a reflection of how God works too, because He showed favorites to um, Jacob. And, uh, you know, and um, there is a whole realm of unfairness that's going on here. 
And uh, this is, um, but this is because this is a God who's not going to relate to us according to the law. He's going to relate to us according to faith. He's not going to relate to us according to fairness. He's going to relate to us according to, once again, faith. And uh, this is what's happening here, is that God is working through all of this, and it is not fair. And uh, if you notice, when uh, we're up to fairness, um, well, um, death is the end game of fairness, um, uh, because this is what these brothers do. This is the fruit of fairness, um, is death. And they uh, take Joseph, and they're like, um, you know, let's kill him. And then somebody's like, um, which brother is it? Reuben. um, yeah, he's like, oh, well, let's not just kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit and leave him to die. <laughs> With no and, water or food, yeah. yeah. So, and then, so he'll die on his own by, uh, by his own, by his own, you know, we won't technically do it. That's what's, that's what's being said there. And then, um, uh, so they're finding the loophole in the law, but it still ends in death. And then finally, it's like, oh, we've got to, let's sell him to our cousins, the issue Judah says, what's the point if we kill him, but don't get any money from it? So <laughs> yeah. if we're going to get rid of him, let's at least get paid. So, but you see right here, and this is a theme that's going to run throughout the entire story of Joseph's life, is that uh, this is the God who um, chooses um, he's not into fairness, he's into faith. And uh, by faith, he has chosen you as well. And uh, it's not fair, uh, but this is um, the good news that leads to eternal life. And you'll see through this complete brokenness and God working through the brokenness of your own family as well, ultimately to save it. Uh, God um, saves the tribes of Israel, the sons of Israel, through this horrid, horrid dark event, which points us to another horrid, horrid dark event, where another son um, of Israel, the promised one, would be forsaken and die all alone. Um, not uh, and uh, but in that he takes all of us slaves and rescues us and makes us sons. So in there you've got to take the big picture. You've got to approach this story not just from inside it, but you've got to approach it from fifty thousand feet and and uh, draw people to Jesus because that's what it's wanting you to do. Yeah, and I think you're right because if, if if God was about fairness, we would all be toast. And uh, you could say. Uh, well, maybe God, um, you know, he picked this family and so he had to kind of live with it. He had to work with it, even though it got so messed up. But honestly, this would be the same for any family. You, you yeah. might be tempted to look at this and say, gosh, this is a really jacked up family. They must, um, you know, this is like a, the kind of family that shows up on the Maury Povich show or, or Jerry Springer um, uh, of the old days. Uh, but really, that it's true of every family. The only difference between this family and your family is that your family or my family maybe is better at hiding our secrets, but um, but every family has its secrets, every family has its dysfunction, and you see that absolutely here. And so any family that God is going to pick, it's going to have to be by grace because every family is going to have its issues like this one does. Every family is made up of sinners. And so God... Uh, again, just shows this grace and mercy, but he's going to continue to work through it. And you also see a little hint here in the fact that they sell Joseph to Ishmaelites. So these are the descendants of Abraham as well through Hagar. And that whole story that we've talked about before, um, that through all these things, God is still working. And so I think both as a preacher and for your congregation, the idea that God works through 
dysfunctional families to save the world. And ultimately, as Jacob, you pointed out so well, maybe I should call you Israel. Um, he, uh, he eventually provides a son, uh, a son of Israel who saves us all, uh, all of mm. us dysfunctional family sinners. And really that feeds into our epistle reading from Romans chapter 10, verses 5 through 15. Um, Paul is talking about the importance of uh, you don't want fair religion. You want unfair religion. You want uh, a righteousness that comes by faith. Um, and this is what Paul is really getting at. You want to say some things on this, Aaron? Yeah, so uh, Paul is basically saying in, in very sort of black and white kind of polarized terms, there's two ways of believing. This is Paul's long letter to the church in Rome. He's not visited them yet, but he, he'll get there. Um, but this is his introduction, and he's explaining his theology because his theology is always under attack. It's always a source of controversy because he's so clear on the gospel. And there are people that always want to combine the gospel with the law and say, yes, you have to have faith, but you also have to do some stuff to make Make God happy, and 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 Paul's not having it. So he says there is a righteousness that comes from the law. It begins in verse five that you have to do these things. He says the mm-hmm. difference, though, in the righteousness that comes by faith, is that Christ has already done everything. That's what it means in verse eight. The word is near you on your. It's already here. Uh, and um, he talks about this personal uh, experience or encounter of uh, having one's own faith put in Christ. And um, he has this this famous passage that you you believe and are justified. And so to how can you believe if you haven't heard of Jesus? And so uh, you have to hear and without without you can't hear if there's not a preacher. And so God sends preachers. So but the, again, I think the main idea here is that um, contrary to everything in Paul's day, other than Christianity, as same in our day. Um, there's either grace or there's not grace, where you have to do stuff to make God happy. And that was true for, obviously, Paul's talking about Judaism here, but he's also uh, would have had in view any of the Greco-Roman religions where you had to make these gods happy with these sacrifices, and you had to pay money, and you hope it worked out, but the gods were really capricious, and they might be having a bad day, and they might still decide to mess up your life. I mean, it just, everything was uh, trying to keep God's happy, except for Christianity, which said, you're saved by grace through faith, and the word is near you. God is already here with you, and mm-hmm. has saved you. And then you have, uh, right down below, um, but how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Um, uh, you know, I, I love this passage uh, because this really, you know, God could make himself known by ripping open the clouds if he'd like. Uh, God could make himself known um, by zapping you um, if he'd like. But he has chosen the office of the preacher. So preachers, get yourself some good shoes because how beautiful are your feet. Um, this is the way that God works, is that he delivers this message of grace uh, through a messenger, a person who has been set apart to preach uh, the gospel. And uh, this really is at the heart and the soul of Christian ministry, ordained ministry. Um, 
is not, uh, you know, we are not social workers. We are not uh, political activists. We are preachers. And uh, we have been sent to preach good news to the messiness and the brokenness of, in families, the good news that God is not fair and that he gives his grace abundantly. Um, he sends us to, uh, to those who are just completely exhausted by asking the question, who will ascend into heaven and who will descend into the abyss, trying to make God happy. He sends a preacher that says, all has been done for you in Jesus. So never forget this, dear listener, um, especially if you're a minister of the gospel. God has appointed you and has sent you to preach this good news, and how beautiful are your feet. I think this is why many Episcopal clergy favor Birkenstocks. <laughs> and pedicures. Sandals. Mm-hmm. That's right, that's right. Yeah, no, I think, uh, and you'll find... Uh, Preachers, that your sermons, if you're still doing live stream services, um, your sermons are still, and this is what I just hear from our con- my congregation, uh, people are desperate for a word of hope, uh, mm. especially now. And it's still such a, you know, th- there's a lot of talk these days, um, and maybe this is not true in your context, listener, but you know, in the Episcopal Church, with, there's such a focus in our worship, our, our communal worship on communion and on the sacrament of the Eucharist, uh, which is really hard to do when you're not meeting in person or you're socially distancing and in a time of pandemic. Um, and there are a lot of people that um, want to receive the sacrament, and I understand that, and it, and it is obviously important. It's the central part of worship in the Christian Church. But the thing that we can continue to give them, which is no small thing, is the preached word of God. And if you hear this from St. Paul, this is what he's saying. We still need to preach this message for our congregations, for our people, because especially now they need to hear what was always confirmed in the sacrament, which is that Christ is for you. Uh, but if they can't take that uh, bread and that wine now, what they need to hear so clearly week after week is the love of God, the grace of God, and what God has done for them once for all in Christ. And this is just this amazing message. Paul says there's, God is for everybody. It's not about whether you're Jewish or Greek. It's for everyone. And our, you want everybody at the end of your sermon to be able to do what Paul says here, to call on one that they've just heard about and to hear this good news of the resurrection. It's interesting in, in verse 9 that that um, uh, Paul says, confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And how different that is from a lot of people think you just need to believe in Jesus, sort of believe that he existed. Um, Paul goes one step further. He says you have to have this connection to the resurrection, mm-hmm. that uh, it's this is what our faith is in, not that just Jesus existed, but that he raised from the dead, and that's who God is. God is a God of resurrection. And what that means, sinners, is that God is the one that can give righteousness to sinful people. That is, he mm. can give life to people that are dead. And that's what we have our faith in. That's uh, this good, one man. Gives that's us really everything. Good. Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> yeah, and so, and by the way, this is why we say the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, we confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord. There's there's an important part of our worship where we, where, where we have to say things with our bodies, uh, and there's something that happens with us when we say that. And Paul makes it all very connected, the heart and the mouth and all these sorts of things. So um, uh, all, a lot of good stuff in this Romans passage. Yeah. Well, and then this brings us, I mean, to, I think, um, everybody's kind of favorite, uh, one of 
everybody's favorite passages um, in, in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 14, 22 through 33. And um, this is uh, this great scene, you know, and I, there, there are two people who walk on water and, uh, in, in, in the entire history of humanity, and that's Jesus and St. Peter. And, um, and this is the great story. So Jesus, basically, he goes up and spends a little time by himself and the disciples. They get out on a boat and begin to sail across the sea of Galilee, and there is a storm that hits. And, uh, and you need to, in, in the Greek, when you read this text, this just isn't uh, like, you know, a heavy-duty rainstorm. This isn't a uh, kind of a, a nor'easter or a, um, or a, you know, a tropical storm that's floating across. There is, um, in the Greek, there is a demonic kind of undertone to this storm. This is a, this is, there is a spiritual force against them. And uh, when evening came, he was there alone, but by the time the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, the wind was against them. And that's kind of key. There, There is a wind against every human, kind of here, and uh, there is a wind, uh, there are storms, and maybe you're experiencing this right now, that are just battering against you. And out there on the water, it's hard to see, but uh, Jesus is walking, and they're terrified because they think he's a ghost. And, um, and this is oftentimes where a lot of um, kind of the preaching goes a little sour. They, they begin to talk about Peter and uh, getting out of the boat and walking on the water. And, uh, you know, and, um, and, uh, but he, he starts to look at the storms around him and begins to sink. And so keep your eyes on Jesus. Now, Aaron, if you tell, could you tell everyone why that is a terrible sermon? Yeah, Jake. So the, the mistake that you've mentioned is how preachers always make this story about Peter. Not always, often. As you've said, keep your eyes on Jesus. And they talk about getting out of the boat, having faith. I've heard so many preachers make that call to action. You have to get out of the boat. Let's get out of our comfortable boat and let's get on the water. By the way, the boat was not comfortable. Uh, <laughs> it was filled with water and in a raging storm. So, uh, and what's, what's interesting is whether you're in the boat or out of the boat, it doesn't really matter. The point of the story is that Jesus is the one who is the Lord. Jesus is the one who is the Savior. Jesus is the one who saves us. And uh, the point is not Peter getting out of the boat. Again, because Peter's only role in the story is to fail. Yeah, and he can I can, can I make a clear can I make a point too? The only reason yeah. Peter gets the hell out of the boat in the first place is because Jesus speaks. Yes. You know what I mean? And just even for a moment there's a slight bit of faith. Jesus is at work pulling Peter out of the boat. You know, cuz they're like they're terrified it's a ghost and they cried out in fear. But Jesus said, speaks to them, and he says, Ego me, I am. It is I. Do not be afraid. You know, so th the only reason why there's any moment here and any movement in this story is because Jesus has spoken and acted first. Yeah, and I mean, I think what's interesting is that Peter doesn't really have faith when he gets out of the boat, <laughs> because his first words is, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He doesn't really believe it's Jesus. Yeah. He's very much not sure. So Peter right. is not an example of faith. Um, he sees the wind and the waves, and he, and he 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 just chokes. Um, the only good thing Peter does is to call out, "Lord, save me." Um, mm -hmm. If you want to use Peter as an example in this story, that's what you want to uh, look at, not his uh, sort of 
half-hearted, doubtful faith, not, not any of that, just his Lord save me. And the emphasis again is on Jesus reaching out Jesus's hand and catching Peter, not Peter sort of, you know, we sometimes talk about how we put this idea that Jesus's hand is outstretched and we have to grab the hand or something like that. And um, that's not what you see here. Peter is absolutely drowning and Jesus reaches out his hand and pulls him up. There's no, there's no like cooperation here. Peter is drowning in a stormy sea and Jesus pulls him up. Um, you know, I think you and I have heard that story. Maybe I heard this from you, Jake. You talked about how a lot of times we talk about, um, you know, when somebody comes to faith in Jesus, it's it's like they're drowning, and God throws them a, a life preserver from a boat, and they grab the life preserver, and then you know they're hauled in onto the boat, and they're given a cup of hot chocolate and wrapped in a blanket, and and they're sort of you know coming back to life. And uh, somebody says, well, you know, are you okay? What happened to you? And the and the person says, Yeah, did you see how I grabbed that life preserver? <laughs> the way the muscles in my arm rippled and glistened in the light, like you know we. That's not the point. The point is not how you grab the life preserver. The point is that someone else saved you. And, and you get that in this story, too, because, again, Peter never actually grabs Jesus. It's Jesus that grabs Peter. And, you know, the response is, is truly, you are the son of God. You know? I yeah. mean, it's not like, damn, look out, like you said, look how I grabbed that life vest. You know, it's truly, you are the son of God. You're the one who saved me. You know, I think about this, you know... Um, I mean, just when I was a kid and I was learning how to ride a bike, and uh, I remember I was learning how to ride a bike at my grandparents' house, and um, and uh, you know, uh, and uh, my grandfather was teaching me how to ride this bike, and the bike was way too big. You know, it was one of those where you kind of like fall all the time, and one time, man, I just fell in the middle of the road, and uh, the last thing you know, as a kid, I ever wanted to hear, and I didn't hear it, and thank God, was like, oh, you should have kept your eyes on me. You know, with my skinned knees and my hands, and nobody was wearing helmets in the 80s, early 80s, you know. And uh, no, he swooped me up into his arms, and he carried me and put me on the sidewalk, and then, you know, cleaned my wounds and, and all of that. And that's the story. It's You know, when you are drowning, the last thing you want to hear is like, better keep your eyes on me or else. It's no, Jesus reaches through the cloud. He picks you up and gets you in his arms and, and he saves you. That's yeah. the God we have, and that's the God we want to hear. You know, the, 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 whole, the whole notion of putting the emphasis on Peter is to do what St. Paul says not to do in Romans, who will ascend mm. into heaven or who will descend into the abyss. This isn't about do-it-yourself religion. This is about Jesus saving you wholeheartedly. And the response of that salvation is the confession of truly you are the Son of God. You know, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the response of God sticking his hand into the storm and pulling you out of the water. Yeah, and I, and I got to say one more little PS here, and I think that's, that's a great point, Jake, and it connects with this last little bit I want to say, is that when Jesus walks to the disciples uh, who are in the boat in the middle of the storm, he doesn't calm the storm in order to walk to them. So when we think about Jesus walking on the water, sometimes we have our mental picture is like that of Rick Ocasek, the lead singer of the Cars, <laughs> May He Rest in Peace, who in the music video for 
Oh, oh, it's magic. Uh, famously walks on a swimming pool at a party in a ho- in a you know probably a Southern California kind of uh, situation. He's walking on the water of the swimming pool, and of course, it's very calm. That Rick was widely criticized because uh, it was seen as blasphemous for him to walk on water. Um, anyways, that's not the picture that we should have. Jesus walking on this glassy surface. He would have had to climb over white caps and like step over waves and sort of maybe even I don't know I think of like hand getting on his on all fours sometimes because he's like climbing over things this is a very rough sea uh this is not the kind of thing where you're just walking on smooth a smooth surface and he doesn't calm it he he Mm. he comes to the disciples in the midst of the storm he himself puts himself in the midst of the storm and I just, as someone who did have control over the wind and the waves, the fact that he didn't smooth it out for himself uh, and left it a challenging path for himself, to cl- like sort of like climbing over boulders that happen to be made of water, to me says something profound about the character of Jesus who throughout his entire life enters into the suffering of human existence. And I see him doing that here as well. He can identify with us in every way. He's experienced all the difficulties we've experienced. And we see that, we see that here. He doesn't actually calm the storm until, as you've said, he's in the boat with the disciples. And I think there's uh, something profound in that, again, about this Lord who enters into the suffering and difficulty. So if you're in a storm, a lot of times we'll say, you know, God fixed the problem, that's how I know he's with me. But what this story shows us is that in the middle of the problem, while the winds are raging and the waves are crashing over your boat, in the midst of that, that doesn't mean God isn't with you. Actually, he very much is with you because that's what we see here with Jesus in this story. In the middle of the storm, uh, he is with you. Well, that is, um, I think, a perfect place to, to kind of uh, stop. Um, uh, so once again, everyone, uh, thanks for tuning in. And remember, this is your number one source for a C-plus sermon. And, um, uh, but until then, remember how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So until then, next week. Go get your pedicure. God bless. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you liked what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.